If your phone goes off while I'm preaching, I'll stop because Jesus is calling you. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, we, we like wearing masks and things. Now, I think, um, I've come to a couple other things before we start. This comes off my preaching time, is that all right? <laughs> now that you're a Baptist church, so all those in favour? <laughs> So I think we should, we Christians should lead a revolution with our masks, right? Because what I think we should do is, it's Julie, isn't it? We've only just met, sort of, briefly. Um, she's, Julie's got a black mask and see some of you got white ones. I think we should have crosses put on them. What do you reckon? <laughs> well, see what you come up with next week, Ben. You can check them out and see how many crosses. So... <laughs> My, one of my daughters is a bit of a seamstress, actually. She's quite talented. I said to her that I wanted a mask with a cross on, right? This is what I got. <laughs> For those of you up the back who can't see, it's tractors. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a, an old ex-farmer. And I love that sort of stuff, so she came up with that. It is a real privilege and an honour to be here with you and to meet you all. I've been promising Ben that I'd come for some time, but just never seemed to have got round it, to it. But uh, it's great to be here and great to share, not only in your worship, but to hear of your story as a church and what God has been doing uh, in you and through you and among you and out in your community, it just does my heart good to hear. You're going down to cook breakfast for kids, hey? I wish you lot were around when I was a kid going to school. It would, would have been pretty good. But it's great to, to meet Julia and Ben. It's been a privilege. He talks about me being a mentor, but just forget that. We're, we're friends and um, I learn as much from Ben as um, I'm sure as I'm able to share with him. So it's been really good. I'm actually retired, but in my retirement, Heather and I, uh, we actually belong to Hills Baptist Church. Anybody heard of Hills Baptist? It's a good church, three, uh, two campuses now. They're up to, I don't know, 1,000 people or something or other. And uh, they're about to plant a church at Labethor. So we go there when we're home. But it, I've been doing an intentional interim pastorate at Gawler Baptist Church um, for the last, how long now, Heather? You and I up there? 18 months or something. So we've been around a bit, um, started way, way back in the 70s and I've pastored at Morfitt Vale, Mount Barker, Mount Gambier and we were a lot of years in Tasmania where we uh, were, God had us there for quite a while and that was real good fun. So it is a privilege to share, a real honour. I, I used to say to my congregations, do you do this here at all, Ben? God is good. I'm sure God heard that one. <laughs> so God is good and all the time God is good. You know, I used to keep hammering that away in one church and I know at least one, one man was so deeply affected by it. Eventually it was part of his pathway for coming to know who God is because he heard that God is good and he is all the time, all the time. So um, part of the privilege of being here is... is 
not only the focus on dads, but just to be part of your story. Love the story of what God has done with you and will continue to do. It's just wonderful. And it gives, gives me hope because Gaul is in a bit of a rebuild situation. And I'm going to have Ben up there, not because actually he's supposed to be up here, been up there already, haven't you? But we haven't got round to sorting it out. But I want Ben to come and tell your story of what God can do when you have a group of people who just say, well, God, we might have our backs to the wall, but um, you can do incredible things. So let's get to preaching the word of God. If you have your Bibles with you or you've got it on your phone, which so many people have these days, which I think is fantastic, takes the boredom away when you're waiting in a doctor's surgery. So let's turn to Luke 17. And we're going to read together from verse 20. We'll pray then and then we'll just see what God's got to say to us. So Luke chapter 17, I'll be reading from the New International Version, but I'm sure you'll follow in the one that you're familiar with or use. Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will tell you, there he is or here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulphur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember, Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you on that night two people will be in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together, one will be taken and the other left. Where Lord they asked. He replied where there is a dead body there the vultures will gather. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice 
so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I'm going to get Ben to pray for me. Lord God, we thank you for your word today. And we pray that as John shares, God, that your word would go out and find good soil. They would grow up and bring great results. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was reported on one occasion that the famous World War II leader of Great Britain, his name was Winston Churchill, I guess you've heard of him. Um, he was asked to speak a group of students to a group of students. And this was at a school where many years previously a, a teacher of rhetoric at Harrow, actually the school was, had written on young Winston's report card a conspicuous lack of success. <laughs> when uh, Churchill got up to the podium to speak, uh, he used these words. He said to the students, never give up, never give up. Now there are various reports of just how long the speech was. Some people say it was just never give up and others say it was longer. But the, the substance of it was that Churchill, who was considered to be something of a dunce, in fact had to wear a dunce's cap back in the day and sent to the corner of the room, came back as the successful leader of Great Britain, the only man who stood in the free world to say, if we don't stand against the terrorism of Nazism, then we are done. And he said to the students, never give up. And what we do know from recorded history is that Churchill at one point addressed the nation in its darkest hour and he said this, and I won't use Churchill's voice, although I did practice a bit when I was walking up the road, but I, I'll just do it in Aussie. He said, we shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. You remember this speech, if you probably heard it. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. You'll find that in a book called The Finest Hour. Truth is, England never surrendered. Today, among other things, I'm going to speak to you about prayer. But prayer not just for prayer's sake, but prayer that's related to knowing who God is. But I do want to say to you, Port Church, never give up, never give up. Say to somebody, never give up. Can you do, are you allowed to say things like that in this church? I do that a lot. Never give up. Turn to somebody, say right now, you're looking pretty good. Yeah, that's right. And now you say, never give up. So getting serious now because we should be occasionally. If you've started to pray, don't give up. And if you haven't started to pray, start now and don't give up. 
I read a little parable, a story in the, in, the, in the Bible reading, which is short, it's simple, it's delightful. Listen carefully to the words. Jesus used this story to teach his followers that they should always pray and never lose hope. Talk about hope in a moment or two. That's one version, the NCV. Another says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to illustrate their need for constant prayer and show them that they must never give up. New Living Translation. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. New Revised Standard Version. Doesn't matter which version you use, it comes out the same way. Never give up, always keep praying. His disciples should always pray and not give up. And the sort of title of this is, right now in our culture, in our world, in our society, in our time, it's not a time for the church to give up. In fact, it's a time for the church to get mobilised and to start to be what she is already meant to be and actually is. Yep. His disciples should pray and not give up. And I don't know you folks at all. And I don't need to. Because God knows your hearts, every one of you, singly out. He knows where you are. He knows where you're sitting. Jesus is in this room and he's walking amongst us and he'll stop and talk to you if you want to listen. And right now he's saying to his church, I believe right across it's not time to give up. And so I'm assuming and I know that you are already a praying people. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that... uh, you're a people for whom prayer is everything. Prayer is life. It's, it's, it's absolutely everything. I'm going to just do that, Ben. And if you want the notes afterwards, you can have them. <laughs> you, you are a people who pray about big things and little things and things in between. You pray about world wars and Afghanistan and you pray about famine and you pray about hate and greed and the sin of the world's people, yes, and the love that's in the world. I picked that up. You're a people that love one another. It's very evident. But you also pray about things like how much money you have to spend to put the right kind of shoes on your children's feet. You pray, my friends, about absolutely everything and you don't give up. Nothing is outside of the scope of prayer. Nothing. Nothing at all. You can pray about everything and in all things pray, because that's what the Bible says in First Thessalonians 5.16, some of my life-shaping verses. Pray continually, be joyful always, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not be anxious about anything, Philippians 4, verse 4, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I had an old uh, missionary friend who used to say, when in a fix, try Philippians 4.6. You pray about everything. You can pray about your health and you can ask for healing. You can ask for healing today. You can pray about how you might use your time or manage your energy or study your books or the family finances or even the cost of bananas, which are a little bit gold-like at the moment. You can pray about all things and in everything pray. And Jesus said you should. And he said, what did he say? Don't. We'll get it by the end. Don't give up. And I tell you what, are we praying 
for the streets to turn to the Lord, not just the people, the whole street. Yep. Jesus said we should pray and not give in. Now it seems to me that when we hear preaching about prayer, we have some immediate issues. Well, I do anyway. It's a bit like this for me. Often when we start talking about prayer, the result is often to produce guilt in people along the lines of we're not praying enough or long enough and we are weak and helpless and useless Christians because we do not pray. And very often, praying saints of past eras are held up to us as examples and there are some fabulous examples in church history. In fact, I've been saying to the folks at Gawler, one of the things that's getting me through COVID is to read a bit of church history. Nothing new under the sun, that's what the Bible says. And you just delve back there and you say, the saints got through before, guess what the saints will get through again? And guess what will survive when everything else has fallen over? The church, yeah? And we need to hear that, I think. We need the encouragement of it. But sometimes praying saints are held up to us. You know, there are some that stand out, the Luthers and the Wesleys and whatever, and how long they prayed. And the, and the challenge, whether it's insipid or full on, is that the church is weak and achieving nothing because people do not pray. And, but can I say this to you? I can't cope with that kind of teaching, personally. Because guilt doesn't produce anything. My, one of my first Baptist pastors, Grant Thorpe, was actually at Largs North way, way, way back. I wasn't there, but I know he was first at Morfavar when I met him. He, he talked about how guilt doesn't, doesn't do anything for us. Or it can get results, it can get kind of instant results, but it, it doesn't produce anything that lasts. All, all guilt does is produce guilty people who are overwhelmed by feelings of inadequacy, and that's not a recipe for growth in the Christian life or the faith. See, here's the thing. Jesus wants his children to pray just like he did in his relationship with his father. Jesus wasn't guilty about the number of times he got out early in the morning to pray. He just did it. Some people in this room can't get out early in the morning. They might be late people in the night. That's not the issue. It's when. The issue is just it's as natural as breathing the air, surely. So here's the thing. Prayer is the language of friends, yes? It's like Ben and I talking together, just as mates. Oh, there are some things around that that we need to understand. It's a conversation of two beings that have a lot to do with one another, one another and want to have a lot more to do with one another. And one day, it'll all be about that, yes? One of the... Dear old people in Gawler died this week. She's with Jesus. In her 90s, loving God. I've got a 100-year-old saint up there at Gawler. She's turning 100 in two weeks' time. Man, Lord, look out if you want some prophecy in the room when she's around. Wow. And sometimes I see this dear old saint walking around. I think half the time she's in heaven. I just reckon she's there already. She's kind of... It's just beautiful because of all those years, I'm almost a century of walking with Jesus. She's just ready to go, yeah? But prayer has a gracious condescension. 
Where one of the friends holds in his mighty hands the keys to all things, he knows all things, he has all power and is always present at all times and in all places. And so that friend is able to offer you hope. He's able to teach you to learn to trust him, to lean on him, to lean in. As my good friend Steve Ingram says in Western Australia, lean into God. So Port Church, lean into God. Because he's able to give it, to deliver you. See, so it's it's about grace, not guilt. And I think right here in this part of God's word, God tells us by what he says that he already knows that his disciples pray. It's not a hint of him saying to his disciples, come on, you've got to learn to pray. He's actually one of his disciples on another occasion asked him to teach them to pray. But he knows they're praying. He knows they're learning. By the way, can you just look, check the back out of the person in front of you or behind you or the front row might have to turn to the back. Can you just check the back of the person in front of you? Just have a look at the back. What can you see there? Can you see anything? Is anything on my back? What you should have seen is a big L plate. What you should have seen is an L plate. You are a disciple. A disciple is a learner. A learner is a learner. You haven't got your P plates yet. You have not yet graduated. You are still a learner. You are learning from Jesus. Therefore, it's a school of learning this prayer thing, yeah? And you can just do what God is teaching you to do. How good is that? You don't have to, oh, I can't pray like Bill does or Tom or Harry or June or whatever. I hope there's none of them around here. But anyway, I can't pray like those people. Oh, no, no, no. God just wants you to pray. <laughs> and you see, you mustn't lose heart in it. So Jesus knows that you're a praying person. He knows you're a praying church. There's not one bit of condemnation in him at all. His eyes are full of love. The Father's eyes are loving eyes for his people. And we mustn't lose heart in it. See, Jesus said he taught this little parable to say that his disciples should always pray and not lose hope. the other way of putting that. And I can tell you that losing hope is a terrible, terrible thing. If you see people broken and lost hope, even animals, when they've lost hope, sometimes will just finish life. They can't cope anymore and it is a dreadful thing to watch a human being lose hope or to watch groups of human beings lose hope. And to know actually, folks, we're living in a society where people are just clinging on. And we've got to move past that as the church and start offering people, and I know you're already doing that, offering people real anchored hope that comes when a relationship with God the Father is formed. Nothing worse than broken-hearted people, weary people, lost in heart, lost in passion. Jesus has better things in mind for those who follow him. So I'm going to switch tack just a wee bit. What does Jesus want to find at the end? The first thing about prayer is he says, don't give in. Second thing is, what's he want to find when he comes back? In verse 8 of chapter 18, Jesus asks this question, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, I don't know about you, have you ever gone over that question? It really bothers me, that question. It really bothers me. I've pondered it. Have you pondered it? Like, sort of, you're not pondering, isn't it? You're kind of 
muse over it, puzzling it out. What's, what's he getting at? I confess that many times I've, I've gone out over and over it. There's got to be a reason for the question. Because one day, when only God the Father knows, or does know, the Son of Man is coming back to earth. One day Jesus will return. The Pharisees that we read about early in the story, and that's why I read from Luke 17 quite deliberately, they wanted an answer from the Lord. It goes like this in the scripture. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come into your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus was quite clear about the truth of his coming. No one would shout it out. They wanted an answer. They always wanted an answer. Watch out for people that are always going to tell you when such and such is going to happen in the chronology of God's calendar. It not, doesn't work like that. Watch out for the charts and the predictions and the latest thing. Oh, be aware of what God is going to do because Jesus will come with one great big surprise and the whole world will be stood there gasping. But don't get caught up into the predictive stuff. It doesn't help. Jesus is clear about the truth of his coming though. He's saying no one's going to chart it out, no one's going to predict it. He just knows there's certain conditions that are going to happen. Blink, 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 just the same of what's actually happening in the world all the time. They'll be giving, taking in marriage, all the things, Sodom and Gomorrah. So, oh, yeah, but these must be like kind of events. that are, It's just been going on all the time. Do you follow me? I say it's not kind of retreating or moving away or, or knocking over the, the stand there so they can't sing anymore or anything like that. But it's just the whole thing is that... that it's going to be like the days of Noah, yes? Nobody, nobody cared, even though Noah was a faithful preacher of 120 years preaching the word of God. And the same thing for Lot's day, but he will come back at Jesus. And even if people are getting on life without any regard for God or refusing to believe him, the incredibly wonderful thing is that Jesus' arms are still open. He doesn't want, according to 2 Peter 3, anybody to perish. He doesn't want anybody to lose out the hope of eternal salvation. You follow me? And that's what you guys are on. So you should be greatly encouraged to, to, to be out there saying to people, you know, there's a better way of living life. We know things are going to be like they are. It actually staggers me that the nation hasn't called out to God to finish COVID-19 off. Come on, God can go and wipe that out just like he wiped out the plagues of Egypt. We need to call out. What Jesus does is categorically warn that his coming will be, by, be sudden, unexpected and will take people by surprise. Without doubt, he's coming. But the follower of Christ will have to wait. Are you with me? You know about the now and not yet teaching, don't you? you? You know, I'm sure Ben and others have spoken to you about that kind of thing. Like the kingdom of God was always, yes? The kingdom of God has always been, you follow me? It didn't just suddenly, oh, now we've got the kingdom. The kingdom of God has always been. But when Jesus came, it came in clear definition. Do you follow what I'm saying? 
the reign and rule of God is what the kingdom of God is about. It came very clearly. So the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the pouring out of the spirit, the birth of the church is all right there at the beginning. But now we're waiting for the consummation, the finish, the end time of all things when he will come back suddenly and unexpectedly. You with me so far? But we're living in this waiting period. You know what? It's tough going sometimes. Sometimes you look around at the world and you say, what's going on? And man, have I heard people say, what on earth's happening? And I get myself, I catch myself thinking, why am I thinking like that? I know he is actually coming back. He's coming to, for his people. He's coming to restore his world. He's coming to be the ruler of the universe that he already is. Yeah? But Jesus puts another little twist on it. The kingdom of God is here, but not fully yet, but watch out, it's coming. So what should the faithful be doing? Can you give me the answer? Praying. Praying and faith live in the same room. God brings to us the end of the world as we know it. All he wants is for his children to be living in faith. But do you know it's possible that the followers of Jesus could be tempted, as uh, a guy called I. Howard Marshall says in his commentary on Luke, they could be tempted to give up the faith or to give up faith because their prayers were not answered. So it's one of the issues in prayer. We're always looking for an answer to kind of prove that God heard us. But the more, the more that you talk with him as your heavenly father, the more you somehow are not kind of worried about some of those answers. Oh, sure, some of the big things are on the agenda, your friends, your family, your community. But I don't have to have an answer from Heather about every single question that I ask of her or she of me. We've been married for a long time, 50-something years. She kind of gets to know me a bit. <laughs> the conversations between us are just conversations. That's what it's like with your father, yeah? Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth? Oh, by the way, the parable, the story. You know what these parables are that Jesus taught? The story is just based in everyday life. And it, I was just thinking about them the other day and I realised just how, well, it was new to me. I've never read it anywhere, but that doesn't mean to say other people haven't written about it. But the pa Jesus must have been the most incredible student of the world around about him. He knew how farms worked. He knew how fishings worked. He knew how businesses worked. You get me? He just knew. And he takes these little stories out of everyday life that everybody understood what a Palestinian farmer, how that was going, or the fisherman or the, the businessman. They, oh, yeah, he knows. And he tells his story about the law courts. Here's the story. There's an unjust judge and a persistent widow, and the story's about praying. What a combination that is. So Jesus told his disciples to pray in the context of waiting for the return of the Son of Man. He should, they, they shouldn't give up. And he said, in a certain town. Now, it's not a difficult story to interpret or understand. Jesus gives us the meaning right up. The meaning is that the disciples of Jesus should pray and never give up. Yep. So what should the disciples of Jesus do? Never? Cool. You're a good lot. I'm coming back. 
I like it. So we have the judge. Now, this judge is an interesting character. He's called unjust. He is a scoundrel, if you like. He's not really interested in upholding the law or seeing that justice is done. And most likely in the context, Jesus' hearers would have understood this judge to be one of the judges who work for Herod or for the Romans. Have you ever heard of a quisling? You know what the quislings were? The quislings were, the term comes out of Norway back in World War II, the quisling was the one who collaborated with the Nazis, a kind of a, um, a, a Norwegian collaborator, I think after a guy called quisling. I, I could have that last bit wrong, but I think I'm right. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This is what the, this judge is like. He works a bit for this, a bit for that, but he's really on about his own life. You follow me? And he's not interested in justice. Barclay says this is a sort of judge who would pervert justice for a plate of meat. He is utterly corrupt. Now, you've got to get that in your mind. The second great person in the, in the story is the widow. Now, what, what is it about a widow? In our, in our culture, somebody's widowed. Yes, they've widowed. They've lost their partner and so forth and so on, and we feel grief and all the rest of it. But we know they're probably going to be cared for. But in that culture, that wasn't the case. A widow, in Jesus' eyes, as he puts it out in the story, the widow is the classic helpless person. Nobody will advocate for her. Nobody goes in the bat for her. She is totally vulnerable. She's weak or vulnerable. She is weak. And by the way, she may just have been young as well. There's no social service network. There's no help for her in time of need. So the picture builds. You have a corrupt judge. You have a weak widow. But the widow has a problem. An adversary is, is obviously taking her for all she has, and that's not a pleasant thing. If you've ever been through anything like that, you don't want to go through anything like that. She has a problem, and she has, goes to the law court to get her problem solved, but the judge is not interested in her. He doesn't want her there. But she's not about to give up. So she pesters and she harasses and she annoys and she worries and she bothers and harasses the judge until she gets what? Justice, correct? Eventually the judge gives her what she wants. Why? In his own words, because she bothers me and wears me out. Now that's really interesting. Barclay suggested that the, um, what she was going to do was blacken his eye. So I, Barclay is a Greek scholar, an excellent Greek scholar. I actually looked at the Greek. I'm not an excellent Greek scholar, but can I tell you something? This woman was about to deck him. <laughs> she was about to give him a black eye. So the judge says, I'm not going to have a black eye on her behalf, thank you very much. I'll give you what she wants. Now, the thing is, when it comes to prayer, be like the widow. Do not give up until you have what you want from God. However, a lot of people have problems with that. You see, God is not someone in their opinion that you treat in this way. God is to be respected. He's to be honoured. He's to be revered. He's to be loved. And that is all absolutely true. But here's what Jesus wants us to see in the story, I think. If a really rotten, earthbound judge can see a bit of sense and give justice to somebody who obviously deserves justice, then how much more 
or God come to you and to me who are in relationship with him. You follow me? It's absolutely crucial. The contrast is what Jesus wants us to get. And that is exactly what Jesus wants us to understand about our Heavenly Father. It's exactly what he wants for us to understand. So it gets me thinking about how we actually see God, you see. See, prayer is not duty. It's not demand. It's not I've got to. It's because God is your father. Well, yeah, he's a father who can take all of the stuff the kids have on the board. He can take you pounding away at his door day and night. He can take you for 60, 70 years praying about the same thing. Don't give up. The famous George Mueller of Bristol, he was the guy who fed thousands of orphans way back in the day, way, way back in the day. You know the story of George Mueller, some of you? Have a look at it. I won't go into it for the sake of time, but he lived by faith, totally by faith. And George Mueller used to pray for one particular friend of his every day that the guy would get saved. And it never happened in George Mueller's lifetime, except, except on the day they lowered Mueller's coffin into the grave, his friend stood at the edge of the grave and got to his knees and gave his life to Jesus Christ. Yeah, don't give up. Follow? And that's the thing, if your father knows you like that, see, we don't become, as somebody said, a nuisance in God's ear with, with requests. We can keep on about the same thing over and over. Our father knows our hearts. Why? Because he's not like the unjust judge. He's entirely different. And some of the things that we've got to see is so often in, in church life we project onto the father the stuff that's come out of our earthly stuff and we don't see him for who he actually is. He said, no, I had a good dad, a really good dad. Went to be with the Lord many, many, many years ago, but he was a good dad. He wasn't a perfect dad, but he was a good dad. But he's nothing like the father I got to know through Jesus. Nothing at all. Do you follow that? And I want to encourage you, if, you, if you've got those images of, of, of God being other than father, then he is actually your father. Some people get on well with Jesus and get on well with the Holy Spirit, but they just leave the Father out of the picture. He's not. He's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We worship the mighty triune God. So I want to encourage you here at Port Church to keep on praying, to keep on knocking on the doors of heaven, to not give up. And for the sake of time, I won't go into There's just stacks and stacks of references. If you don't know what to pray, if you don't know what to start in or where to start, let that fall on the floor. Don't worry about that. Don't get distracted. Don't worry about any of the other stuff other than you can begin to pray. I want to finish with two illustrations. One of the things that I see is that The images of the church that we often have are, are they great images. I sometimes wonder if they're always as helpful as they might be. But one of my favourite images of the church is actually the church as an army. I know it's a hospital. I know people come in and they get healed and 
out they go again and all of that. But I just love that sense of the church being an army. Because whether we like it or not, we are in a war. We're in a war to see the captives of Satan set free, to be truthful. It's a war to see the ordinary people set free from sin and shame and to know the wonderful forgiveness of Father God. And it doesn't call for peacetime tactics. I'll tell you this story. You've probably heard of the Queen Mary, the great ocean liner. Before World War II came, she was decked out and it was just luxury over the top. 3,000 paying passengers going between England and America, just great luxury cruises. And all the passengers did was, was just a self-indulgent time, frankly. Good food, all that. War came and this luxury liner carrying 3,000 passengers who thought other, none other than blue seas and blue skies and the good life Suddenly it was turned into a troop carrier and she now transported 15,000 people and they slept in bunks eight high as they went from the States to, America, to Europe to the theatre of war as that great inv Allied invasion pushed back the German forces and eventually victory was won. Why? Why? Because you can't win wars without soldiers. I want to say to you it's not a time for us to rest and it's not a time for us to give up. Not the time to give up right now, folks. We should always pray and we shouldn't lose heart. Let's stand. I know Ben will come and finish the service. We'll do whatever you're doing. But I'm just going to pray for you all right now. If you would just uh, where we are standing... Just be comfortable. I like that sense of being comfortable in the presence of God. We're going to pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness and your greatness. You are our Father. Before I stood here in this place this morning, you knew every word that would come out of my lips. just as you knew every thought that's coming out of your people right now. And we're very comforted in that, actually, Father. It's good to know that we are known and that one day we will be fully known. I thank you for this church, Lord, and I thank you for your people here. And ask Holy Spirit that you might come. Come down. Come down on us. Just fill us up with your presence, Lord. And where there's, where there's struggles for some in this room, would you fill them with hope? Where, where they need that. Touch them where they need that, Father. I pray for any that haven't really come to know yet, you yet, Lord Jesus, that they will.